After experiencing the transformative power of a regular meditation practice, it's natural to feel inspired to share this gift and guide others on their own journey of discovery through meditation. Join Buddhist teacher David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell, comedian and creator of the Netflix animated series The Midnight Gospel, for a free online event on Tuesday, May 7th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. They'll discuss the profound practices of mindfulness Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash beherenow for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn and Duncan Trussell. Hi everyone, it's Mind Rolling, Raghu Marcus back, and I have a special guest today, Tom Blue Wolf. Tom, welcome to Mind Rolling, and nice to meet you, really. Nice to meet you too, and it's an honor and a pleasure to be here. So, Tom is a Native American spiritual guide. I'm, I'm going to read a little from your bio, if you don't mind, Tom. Tribal ambassador, peacemaker, faith keeper, and you're, you're a musician. He's a musician, artist, herbalist, which we will talk a little bit about, naturopath, environmentalist, and uh, author, and born in southern Alabama. Thank God for what happened yesterday. Uh, <laughs> uh, raised and taught in the traditional ways by his creek. Uh, grandparents, and uh, you have a tribal affiliation, Tom, with the Yafala Band, the Star Clan of the Eastern Lower Muscogee Creek Nation, right? Correct. Okay. I Listen, you know, I really wanted to do this, at, uh, and I've wanted to do this, and you know, we've been talking since the summer for quite some time, um, just because the the environment that we are in in this country has gotten r- completely unbalanced, if if we want to use the most understated word that we could possibly use in this situation. And, um, you know, and throughout my own life, I have, uh, you know, been put in touch at various times with Native American traditions and and just recalling how much that tradition is about being in balance and, and certainly in balance with nature and in balance with the inner self and uh, I just thought, boy, do we, we really need to recall that. And I, th- I um, thankfully was uh, introduced to you by a mutual friend. And so I'm really happy to have you uh, just uh, elucidate to us a little bit in this short time that we have, you know, some of what uh, I believe can be, a, you know, a, a, an incredible, uh, you know, antidote to some of the horrific polarization that's going on in this country well uh, you know that's a conversation that's been going on for a long time especially around council fires amongst indigenous people in every country that i've been to but in this country in particular you know there's uh, ways of identifying these cultural groups we call them dominant culture and um or the invaders or the conquerors or the colonizers you know there's so many ways of addressing that particular characteristic of the human being right now and to quote a friend of mine you know i was in a i was in a seminar in germany last summer for the goethe cultural institute and um, they were going to introduce me. It was a rather large festival. And the fellow said, should I introduce you as a Native American? Should I introduce you as a First Nations person? Should I introduce you as a Muscogee Creek? You know, how should I, how should I introduce you? And I thought for a minute and I thought, well, for me and for our people, the issue right now is, is this, you know, I said, well, I'd like, for you to introduce me as a person that's struggling to be a human being in a world that's rapidly forgetting what that means. Mm, yeah. 
and that I wanted to go beyond the nationalistic and uh, delusional ideologies that people get into about who they think they are, rather than, you know, we're all in the family of man. Mm. That's, that's not, uh, you know, that's not new. But to live as though that's the fact, or that that's true in balance, it was kind of like uh, a mutual uh, friend of ours once said, you know, our people believe that we're actually walking each other home. <laughs> you know what I mean? Where we, we, you know, there's billions of people that have been on this planet and hopefully billions of more will be on this planet. But right now we're on this planet together, sharing this incredible experience of life, not just the two legged but the four legged the flying ones, the swimming ones, all the tree people, the rooted ones. I mean, this whole place is alive and teeming with creation. Hmm. And that's amazing and that's miraculous. And so we want to honor that process. And that seems, as you referred to earlier, that seems to be lost. It's just not on some people's menu, you know, when they look at how to behave and the things they aspire to, they forget all about that we're, you know, a friend of mine once said, you know, what if the woman you love more than anybody else was about to have a baby, about to bring creation into the world. How would you behave? And you're in that room with her. Would you talk a little softer? Would you walk a little lighter? Mm. Would you try to support her and help her? And we all say, well, yeah. Well, they say, well, that woman is Mother Earth and she's always given birth. And so we do want to walk lightly on her and, and speak in a way that's good, the sacred conversation. My grandmother said, the world is perfect. There's just so many people having a bad conversation. <laughs> what if we aspired to raise the level of our personal poetry so that everything we said to each other was a, was a heartfelt characteristics of what we hold dear about what it means to be human. And it was reflected in our conversations. That would be a good place to begin. Mm. Uh, this change is just how we speak to one another. You know, so many people seem to have contempt right now for the condition mm. rather than compassion and empathy and all the things that, you know, great people <laughs> have talked about over the years, you know, to mm. share life together. That seems to be um, the, the issue. And for us, the solution is, you know, mean what you say and say what you mean and be compassionate and share life in a good way because there's babies in the room, you know, and, and children are our hope for the future and you want to give them something to aspire to. You want to motivate them with the miraculous aspect of what it means to be alive. That's, we have ceremonies. See, one of the things we saw that was missing is rituals, ceremonies, and rites of passage that actually have meaning for a community when you bring someone through that experience. It actually transformed them when they are acknowledged for their for their mileage, you know, their walk on the earth, their medicine walk. It changes things. I think that that's a really good place also to yeah. get involved. Yeah. Um, that's a good jumping off point from where we are right now. Uh, rites of passage. And, you know, I go back to... Uh, the beginning here when I asked uh, about your um, formative years. Can you talk about growing up, where you grew up, and your own rites of passage, how that happened for you, uh, and so on? I mean, my first podcast on mind rolling, Tom, uh, were uh, a, a pretty much of a description of of the things that absolutely transformed me to believe that uh, there was... Uh, a reality beyond my senses, beyond the depression that I was in about the society I lived in and so on. And uh, yeah, I'd like just to hear about your rite of passage. Well, a lot of it had to do with the stories that I was told when I was very young. By your grandparents, is that correct? Is what that, I that's correct. Yeah, my mother and father passed away rather early. And so my grandfather and my grandmother and my great uncles and all those kinds of elders and family members were around. It was a small community in Alabama and most everybody, you know, spoke the same language and we shared the gardens, you know, we had a, 
community. You know, it was a village. It was called the porch. Mm. And um, so um, as a young man, as a young boy, you know, I spent a lot of time fishing. And so my grandfather would, uh, when I would do these these activities, he would bring to my attention the sacredness of that activity. Like every morning we would have to be thankful that we had water, you know. So we did a little water ceremony where we would just acknowledge water. He said water was alive and water had a memory. And, you know, it came from a place that had no beginning and went to a place that had no end. And it's... And so he said, and without water, there is no life. Water is life. And so that would be the first aspect of gratitude when we woke up in the morning was to thank creation for the element of water. And so when I went fishing, it would be about that water. And then uh, the fish, uh, which I really didn't eat them. I just catch them and throw them back. Mm-hmm. But uh, um but it was a way of introducing me to the ones that swim, you know, the various life forms. I went through a phase when I was about five or six where I fished a lot. And then um, we had a drum. One of the rites was to give us a drum so we could, you know, uh, talk to the heartbeat. It was like our mother's heartbeat. And so um, one of the stories I was told was that I was a spirit in uh, heaven once upon a time and that I chose to come to this planet because there was a healing going on and that I wanted to be involved uh, as a steward and a caregiver of the planet. I was told that very young. How old were you when, when this, these rites were given? I was, I was not yet seven. I was approaching seven. Wow. And that that was they told me this was my creation story was that I came um, to the earth in the form of music, cosmic God's own music. And that they told me that's why it was called the universe, because it was only one song <laughs> and that every person was a kind of a note in that song. And so we kind of believed in the beginning was the song and the song was good. And so we sang a lot and we danced a lot, you know, in, in gratitude and appreciation for the mother. And so um, one of the earliest uh, memories is going out with my grandparents, my grandmother mostly. My grandfather would make the medicine, but my grandmother would go gather it. And uh, most of the time. And so she would tell me what this is and what that is and these various families of the different kinds of roots and tree barks and flowers and seeds and berries and whatnot. And uh, one of the most amazing ones was the mushroom people and how that she explained to me that they were the nervous system and the kidneys of the forest. You know, like the mycelium running underneath the earth was sending messages and taking messages from all the different life forms. And so to always feel like that everything that was alive had a purpose and a destiny to fulfill. It was a transformational experience for me. When she explained to me one day, you know, we we took acorns, you know, and, and prepared them properly so that we could turn them into flour. We had acorn flour because hmm. acorns were everywhere. And so one day I was looking at them and I asked my grandmother, I was about eight at this time. And she said, and I said, how, how do you suppose <laughs> this acorn actually turns itself into an oak tree if it's planted, you know? And she said, well, that acorn has a dream. And if, and if the life, fulfills itself in all of its ways that dream will be fulfilled and the destiny of that acorn is to become a uh, oak tree and then she told me that every life form was like that every seed carried a dream you know and the honeybees were the closest people to that dream because they gathered it you know and spread it like pollinators so that the dream could manifest itself so that the earth could replicate itself in its own image every day and all the life forms are so as I was absorbing that information and processing it and actualizing it in my own life from day to day, it was about 12 or 13 before I could actually wrap my mind 
and my heart around what she was saying, even though I was listening to these stories, you know, they, they kind of came in in little tiny bits and pieces until when I was around 13, uh, we had another rite of passage ceremony that actualized the fact that I demonstrated by going on various, you know, adventures in the woods down there in the various forests around that part of Alabama. And um, to recognize that and to know that this whole place is alive and you can actually speak to it. There's like this thread between all life that it's like in a, in a more mundane sense, my grandfather would tell me, grandson, they're not going to remember anything you say. They're only going to remember how you make them feel. <laughs> and so that's kind of how it was in the forest, you know. I had an interesting conversation the other day with a fella from Fort Benning. He wanted me to sit in for a couple of weeks and do some training for those fellas down there in special forces about actually somehow maybe accidentally getting uh, stranded in a hostile situation. And so I took the opportunity to say, well, you know, Colonel, I don't think the situations are hostile. I think we bring the hostility with us when we come and uh, he said what are you suggesting and I said I said well you know these people are never going to be lost once they meet mother earth because she's always going to know where they are mm -hmm. and he, he paused for a minute and then he said we don't do that touchy-feely stuff down here <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny so you know as and, and having all said all this you know I feel like that little boy inside of me never really went anywhere it's just got some tenure now, mm -hmm. and uh, and I I'm still kind of reading the same book over and over, and every time I read it, something new appears. Mm -hmm. I reflect on these stories of my grandparents, and and they have more meaning now for me than ever before. So I really believe the quest for a good story and and creating a really beautiful life with a nice way of speaking to people is critical to alter what we have what we're addressing here. While you talk about your formative years and these rites of passage and the, the download, shall I say, from your grandparents, um, you know, we're not that far off from around the same age, you know, very loosely, probably within 10 years or something. Uh, but uh, while you were doing that... And that was happening, and, and you talked about those rites, you know, going off into the woods and, and so on, and going through some other rites of passage. I did have a rites of passage, a rite of passage. I'm Jewish, so I had a bar mitzvah, uh, which was, um, how quickly can I get through this shit, and how much money am I going to make on this so I can get out of my house as soon as possible? Okay, that's where I was. Uh, very unhappy. I was... I got nothing down low, and I represent, you know, middle white. I mean, I'm from Canada and I'm from Montreal, but it wasn't really much different than, you know, white middle America, upwardly mobile kind of people um, that uh, were absolutely devoid of any download, any transmission. Uh, I mean, okay, I shouldn't say that as blanket as that. I'm sure there are people who who were born into a family where there was uh, some connectivity beyond what society was handing out. And, uh, you know, my father flew a bomber pilot in World War II. He was a very wounded inside, never mind what happened, you know, on the physical plane. And um, so that's what I was fed. And I'm, I'm listening to you and going, Jesus Christ, wow, Tom. That's quite a, a lovely incarnation that you were you were handed, and it's it's amazing. And um, but I have to think. I mean, of course, you uh, you didn't go to any um, you know to the school dance or you know the graduations. You know all of that. So what happened with that stuff, which had all of that other you know very uh, rough kind of uh, situations with uh, you know competitiveness and. Uh, uh, the, the the way in which uh, young people treat each other at times, which is so callous. What happened with, I'm just, because you're, you're presenting such an incredible picture that there must be something I'm saying, Tom. 
Right. Well, you know, <clears throat> we lived in a, well, there's a, a context within which uh, the, the people around us were in. You know, Alabama is not famous for, for being a compassionate uh, <laughs> place. They, once upon a time, it was, you know, it was named after the Albamo natives, which is people of peace. So once upon a time, it was filled with peaceful people. Mm. But that was a long time ago. But see, I was born in the 40s. Mm -hmm. And so late 40s, early 50s, mm -hmm. there was a lot of segregation in Alabama. You know, there was a white bathroom and a black yeah. bathroom, you know, white water fountains and black water fountains. And the black people had to sit on the back of the bus. But native people had no bathroom, no water fountain and couldn't even get on the bus. And so we were somehow ostracized in some way that unfortunately became accepted, mm. that that's just who we were. We were still considered wildlife by the Department of Interior. And so, um, and a lot of people treated us that way. So, you know, and um, so we stayed pretty close to ourselves, you know, not unlike a lot of African communities. You know, I, I go to Africa quite a lot, uh, to Zimbabwe and uh, Botswana. And it, it just reminds me of when I was a child, because they still live in these kind of villages where they just are very close-knit. Everybody helps each other. It's like a 200-person family. And, uh, you know, they, they nobody's hungry. Nobody needs a place to sleep. Everybody gets somebody to love on them. You know what I mean? It's mm. real sweet. And so, uh, fortunately or unfortunately, I missed out on a lot of the contextual, social kinds of conditioning of the system that so many people I meet today were raised in. You know, a lot of the times I felt like when I was a child that I was somehow missing out because I'd see all these other people doing things, you know, that we didn't have anything to do with, almost like Amish and Mennonites, you know, we were, mm. we were different. And so, the things I learned were about gardening and, and, you know, the water and the river and the trees and the plants and such. And so when people say, well, can you read and can you write? <clears throat> and so I, my grandmother started teaching me, you know, we, we actually read the Bible quite a lot. And, um, and so um, that's how I learned to read. And so finally they enrolled me in a school, but there was only like 15 kids in this school building. Um, in this classroom, everybody was in, you know, first grade to the eighth grade or whatever was all in the same room. And everybody's just helping each other. And then once in a while, I'd just jump out the window and run off. Mm -hmm. And uh, later on, I'd have to go back. But if I had to help them, you know, with their, with their dogs, my grandfather trained uh, hunting dogs. He had about 30 of them all the time. Mm. And uh, so I helped him with those and we had uh, horses and mules and hogs and chickens, you know, and so there was just a lot to be done. And, um, and, uh, and like I said, you know, we like to do ceremonies every day and dance every day in some way until my grandmother said to me one day that I would learn sooner or later that actually life was a dance. And that if you actually paid attention, you'd understand that you don't dance to arrive somewhere. You dance to enjoy every step. Mm. And so uh, I kind of got into that. And then when I would, it was probably later in my teens when I started venturing out into a lot of cities and things like that and, and became, uh, joined the military, that I actually got a, a feeling of how different yeah my childhood was from everybody else i talked to except for other indigenous people who yeah. were raised in i mean most natives on reservations in this country and in africa and south america were all kind of raised the same way yeah. uh it, and, uh, yeah curse and a blessing obviously and by yeah. the way excuse my naivete really um asking that question of you must have had some, you know, tough stuff when you were growing up. And of course, I'm completely, um, that's a naive question that's oblivious to the fact of, of what was going on at that time in the 50s, 60s, even uh, in this country oh, yeah. around uh, Native American people. So excuse me for that. Um, I There's something uh, that uh, I just picked up on some of the stuff that I was looking at that you're involved with. 
and I'll just quote it a little bit and we can talk about it. As the mother's magnetic field drops and her temperature rises, we get closer to the time of the quote-unquote great cleansing. This is the perfect time to strengthen the core of our being as we shed that which no longer serves us, serves us and surrender to the courage that lies deep in our rootedness. The over-harvesting of all the various life forms that make up her body has compromised her immune system. If we are not the ones doing the harvesting, then we will be the ones that are harvested. And in another, as part of the same thing, we need to celebrate the dreams that lie at the core of our being and learn the meaning of, quote-unquote, giving away that which is sacred to us to make room for what the Creator has next to us as we move towards the deepest part of our, her, heart. Um, and if this, is a, if this is not a just a core uh, statement of what's going on and what we need to do now, I don't know what is uh, related both to, of course, the environment, but also to what's going on as us as being part of that one body. So maybe you could speak to that when you talk about giving away that which is sacred to us to make room for what the Creator has next for us, giving away that which is sacred. So that and also surrendering to the courage, those are two things that I'd love to hear you uh, expand upon a little bit. Well, the, um, the idea being there is that we're not the only life forms our people think this whole universe is alive that we're on like some incredible motion machine but it's alive so it's a being and so um we believe what happens to the universe happens to us and what happens to us happens to the universe and we're not part of nature we in fact are nature itself and so um on the earth the people are representative of her immune system. So on a good day, we feel what she feels. She feels what we feel. When we can say we're never lost, mama always knows where we are. So ever how we behave and ever what characteristics we exhibit, ever what we do is going to be felt by the mother. And so it was like earlier, you know, we... We're walking through creation and she's alive and she's giving birth and how do we behave as the immune system and so my people right now talk about it this way they say mother earth is very sick right now and they believe that she has an autoimmune deficiency because what's happening is people are attacking each other just like cells in the body and they mm. call it cancer they call it cancer when it's going on in your body when cells don't recognize each other and they think it's a foreign substance and then they attack it and then you become you know infected and right now it seems like the diseases are greed fear and control and once you even get close to them you get part of that feeling and it takes you away from this um, symbiotic relationship with the mother and uh, puts you into another place where you actually feel like you know, you're apart from nature, not a part of nature or nature itself. And so then you make all these decisions based on that, that confused um, delusion of an ideology that you hold. So you think, well, I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, I'm a Catholic, I'm a Muslim, I'm a this, I'm a that. And the more you think like that, the further you get from the mother, because we believe to have what it is we dream of, you have to surrender to the courage to be these to be this person this human being and the courage comes from allowing yourself to be loved by someone and the strength comes from loving someone so if you can love someone and then allow yourself to be loved by someone in all the right ways good ways fellow asked me the other day he said well what if you just don't know the right thing to do I said, well, just make sure you do the next thing right. <laughs> and uh, so it's that's how we believe. So if you actually, I mean, this is a start. I mean, I've talked to people about this before, and it seems to be a stretch for a lot of people to actually give it up. 
and say, you know, I owe, wh what do I owe my life to? You know, how did I get here? My grandmothers and fathers on back as far as anybody can remember who worked and played and prayed so hard like this, just so that we could walk for a little while on this earth. So we have, must respect and acknowledge and, and thank our ancestors for what they did so that we can enjoy this time on earth. And if we're going to enjoy this time on earth and we love the water and the air and the earth and the trees and the thing and the people, we love all this place. It's a story. So what if in the old days, the people would say, I'm just going to have the best story I can. So you came up with people like Crazy Horse and Tecumseh mm. and all these mm -hmm. wonderful people who just wanted a good... They used to be when we'd go to these council fires all around the country, they never ask you who you are. They ask you, they, you walk in, they say, what's your story? Mm -hmm. and, and then you tell them the story and ever how good that story is, that's who you are. You are your story. You know, you, you create this feeling of, you know, this, this union and the compassion and magnanimous kinds of, you know, of, uh, peaceful warriors kind of thing. Funny thing, we dug up a bunch, I mean, we didn't, but some people were build, building a hotel up in North Georgia. And they came upon all these artifacts. And there was about six pipes they found that were a pipe on one side and a tomahawk on the other. Mm. And so I, I was, I, I just felt so happy to see that the tomahawk side was practically like new and the pipes were all wore out. <laughs> <laughs> so they must have every chance they had chose peace mm. instead of uh, war and uh, it's a choice and so if you think well so how do you that is a question you know that people say how do you come to a place where you just want to love the children and love the place and just realize that it is sacred and this is your life and what kind of story are you going to leave and and that you care about the legacy that you leave behind. You know, people who who have horrible stories don't get remembered as much as the people that have beautiful stories that thousands of years later, we're still talking about Buddha. We're still talking about Jesus, you know, mm. what a story. And so each one of us could have such a story if we were willing to be courageous and strong and, and challenge ourselves to become you know, really good human beings. I mean, it's it's almost simplistic in its in its tones, yeah. but it's it's a very big challenge to yeah. say I'm just going to work on my characteristics. I'm just going to work on my, you know, my highest qualities of what it means to be human. I want to be compassionate, empathetic, and forgiving, and merciful, and reverent, and respectful, and kind. And most of all, I want to let people know how much I love them. Mm. how do you get the, how do you get there yeah well that's a, that's a that's the that is the million dollar question and it's one that we talk about a lot i i think i you know we, earlier we've talked about uh, uh ramdas a little bit and you quoted him earlier and uh and certainly one of the main things that he talks about is the 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 thing that you can do to serve to the first thing that you can before you think of anything any kind of social action, anything, helping anybody is to, is to help yourself by, you know, going inward and cleaning up whatever needs to be cleaned up and finding your, shall we call it, truer self, that, that place in us that does love us, ourselves right off the bat, and then we're, we're able to share that. So that's, that's certainly a, a major commonality. And um, so on that point, what are some of the things you do? I know you lead groups. I know you do these amazing sweat lodges, which our mutual friends say, said, I absolutely got to get up there and one day I will, uh, Tom, and, and take part. And, uh, but what are some of the other things that you do suggest to people uh, that can um, allow them to find a way to a, a, a path to to all of the uh, things that we're talking about, becoming more compassionate, becoming more loving, becoming more wise, and being able to share that? Well, it seems to be a, a, um, a menu of, of alternatives that you could do, because people are so different, you know, about the ways they approach things. And the, um, 
ceremonies that we do are critical to this because it's a community of people. So you have a whole lot of people joining in on the what we call a sacred conversation, you know, where you consciously put your intentions on some of these qualities that we talk about rather than just be random and just kind of have knee-jerk reactions to to issues that you actually respond you know you you develop like Thich Nhat Hanh says you develop this mindfulness mm-hmm. you know about it that's critical uh, and, and not just react to a situation but think about it you know what I mean say so wait a minute and, and if you really struggle to understand someone else rather than condemn them or judge them or criticize them but just to understand then you realize say well wait a minute First and foremost, we're all human beings. So let's say that we're all called the family of man. So we're brothers and sisters, right? And so if you bring that down to most of the indigenous villages I've been to, that's how they feel. Everybody has a grandfather. Everybody has a grandmother. You know, everybody's in their place. And they understand that these these relationships are meaningful. Even it's, it's built into the language. Like we have uh, names around here that are left over from when the Creek people actually populated this area. Like I live in a place called the Conasauga watershed. The Conasauga means you walk in prayer. Mm-hmm. You pray while you're walking. And then there's another place around here called Kusawatia. That means, and it's a, it's a real estate development now. They, they just borrow the name. But once upon a time, it meant where the peaceful people gather. And it wasn't necessarily a, a location. It was a way of being in relationship with wherever you were. And, um, and so it's in the language. And so the language, one of the first things that we talk about in these ceremonies, and whether it's a seminar or whether it's a lecture or whether it's a medicine council or whether it's wherever I go and, and whatever the context with this, within which I deliver this information, I, I like to think that if we change the way we talk, it's going to make a very big difference in the ways that people respond to us. And uh, my grandmother used to say, uh, for people who know what you're talking about, you don't need an explanation. And for the people who don't know what you're talking about, there is no explanation. Mm. <laughs> so that whole idea of, of, of understanding and being compassionate and being kind she also said it's more important to be kind than it is to be right, because if you're kind, you're right all the time. Mm-hmm. And um, mm-hmm. so these kinds of things, and it's easier to, uh, or it seems to be easier when you work, like it's easier to raise a child than it is to transform an adult. Mm-hmm. And um, so if you start early enough, you got a better chance of uh, instilling some of these qualities yeah especially if we have your grandmother tom sounds like (laughs) i wish we had your grandmother Uh, i'm assuming she's not with us no she's on a long time ago but my original one we actually i still have a grandmother yeah 96 but yeah i've had like five grandmothers in my life because every time one of them dies another one adopts me oh god talk about good karma Jeez. yeah i love it Mm. But see, it's a story. I mean, so I said, this is the story. So if you say, well, what's the story of your life? And you say, well, wait a minute. I, I, this one fellow said, you know, well, I was adopted. I don't know who my parents was. And I spent 20 years in prison. So, you know what I mean? So he's mm. got this whole nother story. Yeah. And he says, how can I alter that story? And I said, well, we had a prison ministry for a long, long time. And we called it, um, you know, the Native American Cultural Awareness Program. And within the federal prison system and so these fellows they would all have these horrendous stories about how they got there you know and then wind up being inmates incarcerated in a penal system run by the federal government i said well that story i don't like that story do you like that story and they go no and i'm gonna say why don't you pick out some of the details along the way that gave you a little hope and and, and you know make that a bold <laughs> italic underline yeah. and forget about the parts that were like horrendous and so the, they said well what are you what's your motivation here what's your aspiration where are you going with this i said well i would like for you to take responsibility for all the things that you've done that got you here and rather than feel like you're being incarcerated in a penal system uh, for criminal activities 
you could just as easily go inside your spirit and say, God made me and God don't make mistakes. And so this is really a monastery and I'm a monk and this is just what it looks like today. <laughs> and so I have the alternative to expand my menu and learn things while I'm here. I don't have to spend this whole time under the, like Man, Nelson Mandela, when he was incarcerated for 20 years, said it was the most enlightening period of his life. Yeah. And he was he never felt like he was in prison. He just felt like he was as free as a bird. Mm. So it's a um, it's a perspective that yeah. one has to learn. Yeah. I think not unlike playing the piano. You know, you just got to start somewhere. Yep. Yep. No, perspective is is huge. I talk uh -huh. about it a lot on these podcasts. So that that's a that's a wonderful. Uh, Sharing, absolutely. Uh, you know, I just mentioned to you that, uh, boy, you have got great karma with that grandmother and, and you you know, all these sub subsequent uh, grandmas that took took you in and, and so on. What, what, and I know you know uh, certainly um, uh, about the, the way that uh, the Eastern mystical traditions use that word. How, how does that word fit within... Uh, the tradition that you've been brought up in, and, you know, I know it wouldn't, you know, there's no name, uh, but is there something that uh, it certainly is something that's been very important since I went over to India and, and got all of that transmission um, around, you know, the reality of, of, of how that works. Can you talk about that just for a sec? The grandmother? Well, the, the, the relation to, the, the cause and effect, the reality of karma. How is that uh, elucidated in your tradition? Well, it's kind of like um, the old saying that you kind of get out of something what you put into it, and, um, and it gets amplified. And so um, our, our traditional perspective of our grandfathers would be that our grandfathers would tell these beautiful stories now the, and we used to laugh and call them coyote stories because the grandfather seemed to not really be interested in whether or not the story was true only that it was a good story and so and we always enjoyed them but if we really wanted to know the truth we'd go to our grandmothers because they were considered to be the keepers of the culture. And so they held in the highest esteem all these qualities that we aspire to. And they never told any coyote story. You know what I mean? <laughs> you, you, but the grandfathers were entertaining and you learned a lot, but you also wouldn't take it necessarily as always being something that you should aspire to in your heart. A lot of it was meant for your imagination, mm -hmm. you know, because they used to say the only nation they really wanted to belong to was the imagination. <laughs> I love that. Mm -hmm. And so karma to me is like cause and effect. I mean, if you, if you do good works, you're going to get responded to in good ways. That's typical. As long as you're in a community of people who understand what that means. See, that's, that's one of the biggest traumas of the colonization of this country. They always said the last good year was 1491. And so <laughs> once people arrived on 1492 and the Jesuits wrote back to wherever they came from, the first things were, you know, these people are like children. They'll give you anything. This place is going to be so easy to conquer. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so um, they didn't understand the, you know, it was like they they uh, went from Alpha to Omega and didn't see what the, the trip was to get there. You know, they they just saw it as a as an advantage and an opportunity to take everything away from these people who were so easily conquered because they were so sweet and gentle and kind and compassionate. Now, they don't mean that a lot of people didn't have skirmishes and all that kind of stuff, but generally speaking. If you treat anybody in the old days with respect, they're going to treat you with respect. And if you come to them with gifts of love and compassion, then they return it. We had a, a story. There was this young girl. She was about 18, and she wanted to do something remarkable. You know, a lot of people aspire to have a story like Crazy Horse, you know. So 
she, uh, they found a gourd of seeds. These seeds were ancient, hundreds of years old. They had been buried in this with this gourd. And so they opened it and saw these seeds. And some of the old men knew who those seeds belonged to, you know, what part of the country they came from. And so we felt like those seeds held the stories of the ancestors of these people, because these plants know those people. These people miss these plants. And so they've been missing a big part of their heritage, not having these seeds. So her great dream was to take these seeds back to those original people. And it was a huge, huge endeavor. I mean, it was like 900 miles. She had to go through the forest. She was 17 and all the things that she had to encounter on the way there to test her faith and her courage and so forth. Anyway, she made it. And as she arrived at the village, everybody was singing and dancing. And it was like, you know, just a big old, big old party going on. And so she walked up to the fire. And as soon as she did, you could have heard a pin drop. Everybody just stopped. And she thought she had intruded uh, on a major ceremony. So she got down on her knees and started asking for forgiveness and then told them why she came. What she didn't know was the reason they were celebrating. This is where karma kicks in. They had a prophecy that one day this little girl <laughs> would come up out of the forest, bringing their ancestors back to them in the form of these wow. seeds. And so they were expecting her. So she was going to give them those seeds, expecting nothing in return, just because it was good and right. And that's what needed to be done. And in return, she became a legend in that village. I mean, they talked about her forever. I mean, she was always like white buffalo catwoman. You know, she was talked about as Zalika, the flower from the east who brought their, you know. And so to me, that's good karma. She what yeah. she did something that was really kind and sweet, thoughtless of you know, wasn't thinking about herself. Right. And she got she got the most highest gift you can get, which is to be, you know, embedded in everyone's heart for time to come. Mm. Beautiful story, Tom. I love that. Mm. Wow. Um, well, we're just about uh, at the at the end of our uh allotted time, but there's one thing that I just uh I, I don't know who wrote this. Maybe you would. I did f find it on on when I was just doing a little bit of research. Humankind has not woven the web of life. We are but one thread within it. Whatever we do to the web, we do to ourselves. All things are bound together. All things connect. Another reflection of uh, karma and our uh, deep, deep, deeply rooted um, connectivity to each other, which we don't always reflect to each other. And when I started this, uh, when we started this podcast, uh, uh, I said one of the reasons that I really wanted to chat with you was I do believe that uh, your tradition offers so much for us to perhaps make any kind of breakthrough with the uh, tremendous polarization, anger, fear, some of the things we've talked about that are, that are going on in the West, in this country particularly, although I think it's in Europe as well, very much so. And um, this, this web of, of life and what we do to the web, we do to ourselves. So... Uh, Thank you, Tom, for, for sharing. Uh, it's been a, exactly what I had hoped for in terms of perhaps, you know, giving us all a little bit of a... I find myself just getting as caught in polarization as, as the next guy, girl. Uh, it's, it's, it's such a difficult time, and I've had decades of practice and, and so on, and I've, the beings that I have met and... and, and and it's still very difficult. And unless uh, you know, we take the tenor that I've heard uh, from you, through you, representing your tradition, tradition. Unless we take that tenor of of um, opting for 
uh, hearing each other for kindness and, and so on, uh, I think we're in for more difficult times. And talk about when you talked about for, after 1491, from 1492 forward, um, what has happened uh, in this country since then, perhaps, and t- talk about karma, that has created a karma for us here, which has produced what it is that is existent in the country in terms of the administration that we have and 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 some of this really you know terrible polarization so thanks again we got to do this again and i got to come over and and get into a sweat this summer that'd be great i'd also like to mention quickly that if people want to support some of the projects that we're in you know we make herbal products under the oh right yes i wanted you to talk about that yeah just mention where people can connect with you for for some of these uh, because well, we have a talking about healing ourselves as healing everybody at the same time well yeah they can support us we we have a uh, our company is called earth keepers one tribe trading company and we're we're in most all whole food stores around the southeast mm. and uh, lots of uh you know single what we call mom and pop stores as yeah. well you know and so and we have um we have honeybees and so we sell their pollen and then we have a skin salve and then we have a tea that's a cleanser, Muscogee tea. Mm. And, uh, and so that would, that would really help. What's the, uh, give us the website. So, and we're going to put this, this will be on the be here now network.com slash mind rolling and to the show notes page, which describes this podcast. We'll also have, links and and we'll have what is the link for people to be able to uh earth keepers one tribe trading earth.com earth keepers one tribe trading.com and yep. and earth keepers earthkeepers.net is just the simplest if you go to earthkeepers.net okay it'll great. just it'll it'll direct you to several different places okay and to be in touch with you in any way how oh, people yeah. can do that yeah, Blue Wolf at Earthkeepers.net. Okay, great. Well, Tom. Yeah, I'd love to hear. From, I'd love to hear from from everybody. I mean, I, I my family keeps growing all the time. <laughs> yeah, and you know, and then people can take advantage because, uh, uh, as as you've heard in this podcast, community is a huge aspect of uh, yep. treading the path. And it that's is right. for us as well. It's what I learned. Uh, that's what I, one of the main things we took back from India. We call it satsang. Um, yeah. It's all the same. And uh, that kind of sharing is probably top of the list. Actually, you know, the the Buddhists, you know, the three vows of the Buddha to uh, to the Buddha, to the Dharma, and to the Sangha, satsang. Someone said, well, what's the most important? And he said, community, satsang, sangha. Absolutely. That was number one when taking refuges. So thanks again, Tom. We'll do this again. And everybody, we'll look forward to seeing you next week on Mind Rolling. Go to BeHereNowNetwork.com and uh, enjoy all of the different podcasts from all these great teachers. And uh, as I said, next week. Thank you. Thank you.